Hi, my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with a global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello, my name is Liz Crow. And I'm Jesse Spur. And today we're joined by Georgia Hampson, who's a registered nurse at the day surgery here at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. And we're going to talk about five things to prepare a patient for surgery. Welcome, Georgia. Hello, everybody. Hey, can you start off by giving us your nursing origin story? Oh, my origin story. Um, well, I've been nursing for six years now. My mum was a nurse and she was like, it's really fun. You get to hang out with a lot of people. It's really social. Um, so I was sold and dad was a physio. So yeah, I started nursing at, um, I went to QUT and then I was employed at the Royal and I've been here ever since. So yeah, that's my origin. Excellent. Well, I think it's really good to get your perspective. Have you worked in day surge most of that time or all of that time or? Um, no. So I did my new grad year in gynecology, um, women's health, but that is also a surgical ward. And I've been working in specifically preoperative services for three years now. Yeah. So I sought out that area and requested to move to that area. Yeah. So not the whole time, but about three years now. What, what sort of drew you to that area? Um, I really liked the idea of being, um, getting patients ready and more of like a flow through sort of day. And I really like being quite like busy, busy. Um, women's health was amazing, but, um, very heavy kind of nursing, but yeah, surgery, I really liked working with a lot of people in day. So in like perioperative services, there's so many people around. So yeah, really social, lots going on, super busy. That's like my kind of environment, yeah. So as a people person, you Very, get to chat to a lot yeah, of people. Lots of people, lots of and patients, <laughs> doctors, nurses, anaesthetists, surgical nurses, like, yep, yeah, heaps of people. Right person for the podcast, Liz. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. All right, so you've sent us through your five things and your number one was kind of acknowledge the patient experience. That was definitely my number one because... I couldn't believe it. So when we get people ready for surgery in the morning, there's a massive waiting room that you walk out into and some mornings there's about 60 people in there. They've all gotten up bright and early and it's like 6am and they might be sitting next to somebody who's having a craniotomy or someone who's having a very minor procedure. And yeah, I just remember thinking, wow, it is so important no matter what is going on in you know my day or whatever, I'm the first person they see when they get to the hospital, like aside from checking in at admissions, you're the first person. So yeah, just trying to put yourself in their shoes, imagining how scared they might be or like what's happened in their lives to get to this point. Maybe that this is their seventh operation and whatever keeps reoccurring, which is devastating. So yeah, just trying to make the experience as positive as possible. Um, imagines often seeing people who are quite 
stressed as well. And yeah. it's something we've talked about a lot is that kind of emotional contagion principle of um, being a positive sort of infectious yeah. positive emotion in, in that space. Yeah, definitely. You can tell from just looking at people how stressed they might be and it's amazing when you – you know, have a different demeanour if you've woken up and you're feeling super refreshed and you've had your coffee and you, you greet people in a certain way, what happens to their stress levels almost instantly and you can tell on that, like, by, that by their faces and they just, they relax instantly as soon as they walk through the door. And then it just makes the whole process, I hope, for the rest of the day and for them that much more positive to know that they've got that person that they can go back to and, you know, flag throughout the day as they're waiting. Like, it's like they instantly are like, okay, you're my person yeah and you're gonna treat me you. safe yeah, yeah yeah and it's like you know I'm not even operating on them mm. so I hope that that's a really good first point for them to you know have in the back of their mind so yeah just they are a human goodness knows like what they've gone through to get mm. to that point they're having surgery today they're not going to work that sucks like they're yeah. Probably they could be really unwell. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's hard to remember that sometimes. So, yeah, I think that's the number one thing for me. I often say I think all healthcare professionals once a year should have to get into plastic see-through undies yeah. and a gown that shows your bum yeah. and, you know, you can't wear a bra. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what that person does, if they're the wealthiest person, you know, a person who's rather vulnerable and disadvantaged, it's a, it's a real leveller and it, it can make you feel quite dehumanised. So I think 100%. when you're a nurse that can have this direct interaction and say, hey, I've got your back yeah. and this is what you can expect and when you wake up I'm going to be there. Yeah. You're kind of like this anchoring or this lifeline, aren't yeah. you? And even just acknowledging like, okay, here's this gown that you need to put on. I know it's purple and your bottom might be showing but, you know, just making them like, oh, I know this isn't ideal and you've got to get changed now and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it just instantly I feel like makes them feel more relaxed yeah but I agree or even just being a family member having to drop someone off yeah, you know because yeah. their family are waiting with them and they're like so what's happening today now mm. and it's like takes five seconds of your day to make them feel reassured like I'll be back with you in a minute and I'll go through all of this yeah, yeah. makes a huge difference my 18 year old um had a cardiac ablation last year oh, okay and I I knew it was a fairly safe procedure but yeah. you know and he's 18 he was technically Technically an adult. an adult. Yeah. But I was like in tears. Yeah. And <laughs> you're like baby in the being wheeled away. Industry. Yeah. And I, and I know, you know, I know it definitely wasn't the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. So it's such a frightening experience. I think that's great. Your number two point is to inform us about consent. Yeah. So kind of getting into the nitty gritty with consent because it's, I guess, over just overarching a really important legality. Um, just making sure that the patient has got um, like that physical consent form that they've signed with the doctors, that they know what the words mean on the consent form. You know, I've Googled with my phone with patients and gone, I think that refers to this part of the body, but let's just call the surgeon to check because sometimes they're seen quite in outpatient departments about six months ago because the wait list might be quite long. So yeah, just making sure that the consent has got the right patient's name, the right procedure that it's within date um, they need to be within a year um, and that the patient recognizes their own signature and that the doctor signed it so those things easily get missed and that's just something that we want to make sure and not so much for us but for the surgeons because we understand that they have got a lot going on but yeah if they do something wrong that was or wasn't on the consent form then yeah we just want to 
flag anything that we can. We're just like the second, the first set of eyes to really scan through and make sure everything is perfect. So yeah, consent is really important. It's the first thing that we check and we've got flags everywhere saying like, it's not right, consent's not right. And yeah, a million times that it gets flagged. Consent physically, the piece of paper, but consent like, yes, they, they consent to having this procedure. And um, we ask every single patient, like, so in your own words, what do you think you're having done today? And yeah. you try and make that as casual as possible because it's like, what's your understanding of this? And it's like, cool, well, this is what you've signed. So just making sure that, you know, that that all lines up. Those yeah. two things match. Fantastic. Your third point is about fasting. And I imagine that there is a lot of confusion for patients, but maybe if I'm also a bedside nurse, confusion about what happens with fasting and are there different rules depending on different surgeries. Can you give us just some general tips about how to manage fasting? Yeah, so fasting is sometimes the bane of our existence in perioperative <laughs> services because you're like, oh, you had milk in that coffee, like great. So unfortunately you can't go in for six more hours. Um, yeah, so fasting is I think after consent probably the third thing we ask someone um, as we're trying to get them through to theatre because it's really important for like the anaesthetists and the surgeons that people don't have any f- more risks involved with the surgery. And so, yeah, managing fasting is important. It's done in the outpatient clinic, firstly, by giving people that information as soon as they consent to that surgery. It's like the first step of preparation. Um, yeah, so just six hours before a surgery or midnight in the hopes that the surgery is first thing the next morning, six hours, nothing to eat or drink, just so that they don't have an extra risk of um, aspirating on the table. So yeah, managing that is hard. Making sure that the patient's aware is number one. So whether that's in that outpatient clinic or if you're at the bedside, making sure the patient's aware and maybe reiterating in layman's terms. Like, so if the tea trolley comes around, make sure you can't have anything like at all. Or that includes yeah. water. Yeah, that includes water, like even water or chewing gum and mm. stuff like that. So don't, don't be swallowing your toothpaste yes. and all the water while you're brushing your teeth for yeah. surgery. Yeah. yeah, and I also think fasting, you'd be surprised how stressful that is for people as well to fast. So just making it clear, I know it's hard. I know you haven't had breakfast and you're still waiting and because people get quite angry when they're hungry. hungry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hungry. <laughs> um, so just also being super sympathetic, like... And also we try not to discuss, we're going to morning tea now. Are you going to go yeah. on your break or your break? And Who wants a coffee? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And our patient's family come in and they've got their coffee and we're like, hey, um, is there any chance maybe you could have your coffee out in the front room because these people will dare stare you. Yeah. yeah. Or steal your or coffee. Or steal your coffee. <laughs> and I come from paediatrics and uh, the no food thing is huge because babies, if they can see anything from across the room, you know, they're crying, they're begging for food, they're begging for a drink. It's so terrible. Adults are basically the same. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That doesn't Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's funny. All right. You're number four and I guess this, we really want to bring this back to the bedside nurse is, you know, I've got a patient on the ward or maybe I'm on night duty or maybe I'm, you know, coming in early in the morning and I've got a patient due to go for surgery. Your number four is making sure that patient is fit for surgery, you know, the next day or the day before. So what sort of things do nurses really need to consider when they're going through that checklist? Yep. So um, things we really need to consider is 
obviously it's the patient prepared in terms of all their documentation, but is the patient themselves fit to go under a general anaesthetic and have the operation? So have any of their vital signs changed overnight? Are the doctors aware of their current condition? Um, Have they had all of the appropriate medical imaging and investigations done before procedures? Um, Just so that the surgeon and and has it been reviewed by the surgeons and anaesthetists as well so they requested an x-ray for example have they been sent for that x-ray is that available has it been reviewed um yeah making sure patients are showered and you know have they got a lot with a lot of our orthopedic surgeries if they happen to have a cut on the foot that's going to be operated on is there any signs of infection because that might potentially get their operation cancelled if there's a potential for there to be an infection in the foot that they're going to be operating on. So yeah, just making sure that the patient is well enough. A lot of people obviously need operations because they're unwell, but um, anaesthetists like to know and be updated on their condition so that they can outweigh those risks of how, you know, should we wait until they're well? Like, do they have a flu at that time? Um, are they coughing? Will they be able to have the best outcome based on their condition at that time? So, yeah, thinking about the patient's condition, um, do they need any pre-medications? Are they completely prepared? Did they need to be on a steroid dose prior to this? And, yeah, just constantly communicating with the doctors and making sure that from nurse to nurse we know exactly what has and hasn't happened that's really good. I mean, it's a tricky one because there is such a barreling momentum towards it. There's so it. many, you yeah. Know, you know, you're kind of aware of the downstream effects of any delay in yeah. the process. So it's a really easy one to kind of downplay and try and rationalise away something small. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's that, it's that clarity of actually recognising, no, there is a significant change here. Significant change. Yeah. And do they need to know about that? Yeah. I remember not so long ago, actually, I had to... I just sort of noticed that my patient's saturations were a little bit lower than what they'd been throughout the day. And I was like, oh, I'll notify the team because I know they're going to have an anaesthetic later on. And I think like lung capacity and their oxygen is super important. I notified the team and then they notified the anaesthetist and the anaesthetist was like, oh, I definitely want to get a chest x-ray then to make sure that nothing untoward is happening because it wasn't like that prior. And I was like, hmm, that's like, yeah, I'll definitely be keeping that in mind from now on. Like, well, yeah. that's a great story too because that's a real positive affirmation if there is that niggling doubt of definitely going, yeah is this significant yeah enough? and then you go actually this is something that yep. that's, it warrants actually a radiological investigation yeah, exactly. yeah which yeah yeah i'm i'm not it's not like i don't do it all the time but i was like that definitely affirmed that for me i'm like okay we'll keep keeping a close eye on people especially before surgery because if you've no, if have or haven't noticed something and then someone has like going under a general anesthetic is a fairly big deal on the body they get given a lot of medication and they've got a tube breathing for them so if yeah it's super important that they come out of that that we haven't made them worse than when they went in this is kind of a combination question for you know point 3 and point 4 with fasting and being fit for surgery, where do people's medications fit in with that? If I'm someone who has epilepsy, for instance, and I, I'm dependent on my medication to ensure I don't have a seizure, what happens when you fast? Yeah, so there's a lot of different um, situations with medication and we're really lucky that in the outpatient clinic they also get seen by a pharmacist. So they they um, they tack that onto the multidisciplinary review before surgery. But yeah, we definitely as nurses have to check. So what have you taken this morning and what haven't you taken? And what did the doctors want you to cease? 
Um, yeah, a lot of people need to continue their regular medications in the lead up. People who have like a high risk of blood clots need to continue their blood thinners. Diabetics, they need to withhold insulin that morning. It is different for every single patient. And the instructions are usually really clear in the chart for us and organized from the pre-admission clinic. But yes, a huge responsibility on nursing staff the morning of is making sure they have and haven't had the right medication. Um, And it's different for every person. And we are constantly chatting to the doctors and just confirming, hey, they haven't had their meds. Their blood pressure is pretty high at the moment. And a lot of the time the, the anaesthetist is like, oh, please have it now. So that changes situation by situation and it, it yeah pops up every single day so that is a really that's a really good point with fasting i'm going to pull you up on the fact that you said you liked being task orientated in the start <laughs> none of this is sounding like task orientated it's actually not well uh are you maybe more pro you, you enjoy process yeah maybe it's more like it's a little bit of task it is a, actually uh, there's a lot of clinical thinking as well <laughs> <laughs> you're underestimating i do yourself. love processes yeah. like yeah. we get someone ready and then you tick this box to say <laughs> they're in the waiting room and then when they go from the waiting room to here it's highlight the person achievement <laughs> yeah. yeah xp for your that's very nursing like yeah. i need to highlight this but I think it was just it just struck me more as an important distinction to make is that one critique of modern nursing is task is an over task orientation. Yeah. But we've also got massive complexity in patients yeah. that just wasn't. There's no one in hospital just convalescing, yeah. having a chill till they get better anymore. No. It, um, so it is getting more complex. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of process, but within the process, it's more important than ever for critical thinking and clinical acumen definitely um, and the surgeons as much as the um, like it's really important that the doctors are doing their role in the pre-admission clinic but definitely yeah on the day the there is a lot more responsibility on nursing staff now to pick that up firstly because yeah and a lot of the time we do pick it up and sometimes if we don't it doesn't get picked up so yeah definitely it has become a lot more clinical thinking and complex but with but yeah I, I guess I do like that as well <laughs> so the safety nets the ninjas and the yeah. forklifts of the basically all right, so your final point was to discuss, you know, the actual theatre processes around the organisation for going to theatre and the, the line of communication and handover. Yeah, so it is like a – it's an actual circle in preoperative and it's like a flow system and it is all so heavily based on process and we notice how much we rely on these processes when something gets missing from the chain or – yeah, so it's um, we, just to make sure that the right person gets the right procedure. It's, yeah, there's so many processes and the phone is constantly ringing. It's, I'm theatre four and I just want to, is, is my next patient ready? And it's like, what's your patient's name? And yeah, con- so there's processes upon processes in perioperative services. Yeah, like I said, the patient comes to admissions and then they sit in the waiting room and then they're on a list and then they get ticked and then they get highlighted and then we take them from here to there and then just constantly communicating with the team what has been done for this patient, what hasn't, what can I do now, Um, do you need to go on break, then we need to do a full handover to the next nurse to let them know I got this far but I haven't yet clarified should I have given this medication or should the patient have withheld that so just checking with the doctor and then, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I think theatres have got really good systems going. The um, theatres come out with like a little call card, then the wardsman checks that that's the right 
call card with the right patient's name on it. Then they try and go to the right, to our whiteboard, which has the patient's name on it again with what chair they're sitting in. And then we take the slip from the whiteboard and then go to the chair and check the slip with the patient's armband with the chart. (laughs) And then we put a hat on their head, (laughs) like about whether they have an allergy or not. So it's like red allergy hat, blue not allergy hat. And there's just, yeah, so many processes. If you're someone who hasn't worked in that chain before, you're like, this makes no sense. Yeah. But it works and I feel like it's so heavily based on communication and everyone having really good communication skills and respecting the process. Like, oh, I got no, nah, I didn't do that. It's like, well, you need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Terrific. So, I think that's our five. I think that's lovely and succinct and it's, it's offered – a really kind of refreshing review of like what happens but also the important role we can all play. So your number one was be aware of the patient experience. This is really frightening. Um, For most people they might be really sick or this might be an investigation that's really critical. And I love that you even mentioned that there can be some emotional contagion just in the waiting room while someone's having a minor procedure next to someone who's having a major procedure but that the nurse at the bedside can make a real difference in people's anxiety and stress and and recognising them as a human being. Number two is just how important consent is. It is is a legal document uh, to make sure that your patient has been fully consented, that they understand what that consent is for and if there's any doubt at all to please contact the medical people involved to ensure that that consent is correct. Number three, you talked about fasting and about how critical it is so that patients are safe in theatre and not aspirating that they've had no food and no water and that most patients should have a very clear instruction and I guess if in doubt, please check because it's, it can be life-threatening. Number four is make sure your patient is fit for surgery. Have they woken up this morning with high temperature? Has something changed with their respiratory rate or their blood pressure? Again, if in doubt, check with the surgeons, check with the anaesthetist and the treating team. Um, you know, and I guess one of the things that also stuck out for me is, you know, we didn't talk about this, but you talked about this before we were on air, but about even things like skin integrity and if they've got a wound and an infection, all of that needs to be highlighted to the surgical and uh, anaesthetist. And your final um, point was that number five is that there's a, a real clear process with theatre. Uh, it's highly organised, lots of processes and it depends on communication. So when you're handing over, have a very clear clinical handover and and there's no point that can be missed because this is about safe, you know, patient safety and also patients feeling really comfortable and secure. I think Perfect. that's it. <laughs> you nailed it. Thanks very much. No worries. Thanks for having me. The Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Five Things Nursing Podcast acknowledges the Turrbal and Yagara as the First Nations owners of the lands we now tread. We pay respect to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of healing, teaching and learning. We also wish to acknowledge the First Nations people of the lands of our global community and encourage our listeners to seek out, listen and learn from the knowledge held in your shared space.
As well as all major podcast outlets, you can find us at 5thingsnursing.podbean.com. Please also subscribe and give us a rating on your listening platform of choice. This helps others find the podcast. And finally, if you'd like to connect with Liz or myself on Twitter, we can be found at LizCrow2. And for me, it's inject underscore orange. We would absolutely love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or feedback. Thanks for listening to Five Things 